Now they already have PayPal, they already have Robinhood, and that's just the uh, the most frictionless way to get there. But what they don't know is the whole rest of the story, and that's what these Bitcoin-only companies need to do: is to is to uh, educate about that, defend that, and to really say the value proposition that a Bitcoin on a a Robinhood versus a Bitcoin on a, a platform that allows you to self-custody it are not worth the same. Welcome to the Swan Signal Podcast, a production of Swan Bitcoin, the best and safest way to accumulate Bitcoin with automatic recurring buys at swanbitcoin.com. I'm your host, Brady Swenson, head of education at Swan. Swan Signal pairs up great guests for compelling discussions about Bitcoin and economics. In this one, Will Reeves of FoldApp and Jan Pritzker of Swan join us. Glad you found your way here. Enjoy. We have a monster of a show for you today with Will Reeves and Jan Pritzker. Uh, Before we dive in, let's check in with Swan. We're doing something really cool uh, that I want to let you all know about. Um, We are giving giving away Jan's book, uh, Inventing Bitcoin, uh, and we're giving it away for free uh, in an effort to spread Bitcoin education and knowledge and uh, knowledge of Swan as well, which we think is, of course, the best and safest way to stack sats. Uh, especially for uh, for people who are new coming into Bitcoin, no distractions from altcoins or stocks or anything else like that. Just focus on accumulating Bitcoin in the best and safest way possible. You can go to swanbitcoin.com slash free book uh, to claim your copy. We have it in three uh, ebook formats. We also have it in an MP3 read by our boy Guy Swan uh, from Bitcoin Audible. Uh, all we ask is that you pay it forward. Share it with at least three friends and family. Uh, when they sign up, uh, when they submit their email address, we'll send them an email from Swan saying, hey, here's your book uh, and, and here's Swan. Here's a great way to get started buying Bitcoin. Um, and to all of you Swan Force members, we just set this up. Uh, you can give away the book straight from your Swan Force landing page, which is awesome because it's an, another incentive to get your friends and family to show up and grab that free book and get kind of going in, in Bitcoin. Anytime in the future when those people who, you know, maybe have been convinced by Jan's great book to buy some Bitcoin, you'll get referral credit. And of course, that's 25% of Swan fee, Swan's fees for three years, and they'll get 10 bucks as well. Uh, finally, uh, as we've been talking about, the daily betas, uh, daily buys beta is underway. So we're rolling that out to daily customers now. We're squashing some bugs as, as they come up. That's what the beta program's for. Um, so... Just be patient. We'll get uh, the email out to you in the next week or two to sign up for daily buys. We've got a couple hundred uh, customers stacking on daily right now. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, swanbitcoin.com slash daily buys. You can still get in on that beta list. Okay, that's enough of that. Let's dive into this one. We have two entrepreneurs who are pioneering the Bitcoin only industry. Uh, we have Will Reeves with us. He's the founder and CEO of Fold. It's a great Bitcoin only company. Uh, and makers of the Fold app, which allows you to get into Bitcoin or to buy Bitcoin or get, get Bitcoin while you shop. Um, looking forward to hearing about the latest from Fold. I think we've got some exciting news to drop uh, and talk about. Welcome back to the show, Will. How's it going, man? It's going well. Thank you for having me, Brady, and the, the whole Swan team. Uh, okay. Well, of course, we have Jan Pritzker here as well. Uh, should be a familiar face. Uh, he's, of course, co-founder and CTO of Swan and author of the aforementioned book, 
uh, inventing Bitcoin, the technology behind the first truly scarce uh, and decentralized money uh, explained. So, Jan, welcome back to you as well. Appreciate you joining us today. That's a thanks long for, subtitle, bro. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been I've been like killing myself over that subtitle way too long. <laughs> I don't know how we ended up with it, but it is what it is. You know? It is what it is. You got to commit. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's there now. Uh, uh, I should know, too, that Swan founder Corey Clipson is going to be joining us probably about 45 minutes into the show uh, to kind of hang out for the last half hour and talk. Uh, so we'll have three Bitcoin entrepreneurs on the show uh, talking about building Bitcoin today. Uh, let's talk about that. Start with talking about the Bitcoin only industry. Uh, it's still small, but it's growing. Uh, and it, there's a huge difference in the number and success of a Bitcoin only companies between, you know, 2017 and now uh, going going into this suspected bull run. We're bumping up against 13.8 right now, which is pretty exciting. Um, so, Will, why don't you get us started? Um, what do you see the Bitcoin industry, Bitcoin only industry? eventually surpassing the broader crypto industry uh, industry and like importance and magnitude. Um, what other kind of Bitcoin only companies do you see emerging in the, you know, in the next five, 10 years? Yeah, I, I think we're seeing that happening right now. Uh, you can look at price comparisons. You can look at uh, actually adoption happening meaningfully outside of this small group that we like to call uh, crypto Twitter, Bitcoin Twitter. Um, you know, Bitcoin, whether you like it or not, is a is a household name. It is it is a is a brand name that is spoken about at dinner tables uh, by people of all professions, all ages, and it's something that if you're increasingly tying yourself and your company to that idea and that asset, I think um, we're only going to see more and more successes. And you know, the the story of uh, the kind of innovation in the space with Bitcoin companies is that we're only broadening and diversifying what types of services and use cases that we handle. You know, if you look back a couple of years ago, speaking of the last bull run, you know, we had exchanges. Uh, now we have a plethora of ways to earn it, uh, to use it, to hold it, to custody it. And it all is maturing far faster than I even thought. And it's happening at the same time where... Bitcoin is now on the minds of uh, certainly, of I think, of all young people looking at their own financial outlook and their financial future, but also those that are watching their own ice cube melting and uh, feeling like they need to look at look beyond. So I, I'm, I'm very bullish, not only on price aspects, but the fundamentals of, of Bitcoin companies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I hear that, man. It's very exciting. Jan, you're obviously a part of this emerging industry as well. Um, why did you get into it, man? And why do you feel compelled to, to be building in this industry? What are you excited about? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I got into it for the wrong reasons. Like a lot of people, I was attracted by a really interesting technology. I am a technologist and I spent 20 years building startups. So when I first saw Bitcoin, I thought, okay, this is a very cool open source payment system. This could be something really interesting. Um, it wasn't really a long time. I, you know, I, I first heard about it in 2011, but in 2016, I finally sat down, really researched it and read the white paper and read all the awesome resources that are out there, um, you know, things from Pierre Rochard and BJ and things like that. And I finally understood it as money. And I think when we talk about building Bitcoin only businesses, another way to say it is building businesses that are based on money and not something else, right? If Bitcoin is the money of the future, then the businesses we're building are all in support of that idea. Um, banking, loans, uh, earning, spending, holding, custody. And I also think there's a whole uh, component here, which is kind of this evolution of how does Bitcoin become money? And I think this is a VJ's framework. You know, it has to be collectible and store of value first. 
And so right now, a lot of the use cases are around accumulating it, right? We're going to accumulate it. We maybe want to look at inheritance planning, uh, passing on to our children. You know, if hyper-Bitcoinization happens tomorrow, great. Um, but I'm fully prepared to pass the Bitcoin on to my children uh, as a store of value for their future if, if, you know, Bitcoin is not sort of like a global unit of account and medium of exchange um, and is more of a, of a holding technology and a savings technology, that's, that's also fine. So I think there's different time horizons for building these different kinds of businesses. And uh, I think what happened in the first, you know, if you call it the first epoch of, of crypto and Bitcoin um, was exchanges were built because that was the first use case of speculation. People just wanted to trade and try to get more Bitcoin. And they still do, right? Today, uh, a huge portion of, of crypto activity is really just people trying to make more Bitcoin. So if you look at all the 7,000 plus coins that have been produced since Bitcoin came out, you know, the, the use case for them, more or less, is for traders to try to make more Bitcoin. So uh, that's a fine use case and exchanges have made a lot of uh, money doing that and supplying that gambling kind of uh, behavior for people. But I think what Will alluded to and what I'm saying is that we're trying to build businesses around the future of money, which is Bitcoin, which are long lasting businesses. They're not here to make a quick buck. They're here to help people plan for their future. Yeah, long term thinking, just like uh, we preach about in Bitcoin itself. And uh, one of the things I love and we talk about a lot as Bitcoiners is uh, you know, really, if we adopt Bitcoin as a global reserve asset, global based money, uh, we can we'll see the economy itself, like not not just Bitcoin businesses, but all business of all kinds, really thinking more long term uh, and, and being able to plan for the future, not like rushing quarter to quarter, trying to meet those earnings expectations and, and get the stonks, uh, you know, <laughs> pump that stonk price. Um, you'll have you'll have some money that you can maybe, uh, you know watch increase by $95 million uh, in a couple of months. Uh, MicroStrategy <laughs> is uh, is up $95 million on their buy right now. Uh, and it's just getting started. So uh, yeah, MicroStrategy, you know, can can really plan for the future in a, in a different way now that they've made this commitment to Bitcoin. Um, Will, man, it's exciting times at Fold. Um, so when we scheduled this show, uh, you know, I asked you, I was like, so what's what's the ETA? Uh, everyone's been so excited to get this thing in their hands. Um, wh what is the status of the fold card, man? The fold card will be in people's hands in November. We have, we the crazy thing is we had nearly 100,000 people on the wait list for this card, which to me, when we launched this, I was expecting, let's get 15,000 people. You know, we'll get the hardcore people, then we'll expand this is happening way faster than I thought. It's it's just a reflection of the pent up demand, just uh, broadly in, in society. And it's really what what I'm learning is, it's not just about when people find Bitcoin, but it's about increasing the opportunities for them to discover it and start their journey. And as we start to build more products like Fold, like Swan, uh, that appeal to lowering the the barrier to entry. Letting, leading with education uh, and putting Bitcoin to the forefront without any of the noise, what you, what you start to see is that more and more people start to take the plunge earlier. So it's not that you know, we need to go around bashing people in the head about why Bitcoin is great. We need to increase the uh, on-ramps that, that, that start to appeal to people. And so Fold is working on that, Swan is working on that. And I think the product that we've created just found this massive pent-up demand that exceeded my expectations, my team's expectations, and all of our partners. You know, to build this, we've brought in Visa, banks, and I have to say they are as equally stunned as we are about 
what this means for not only their bottom line, their market. Um, and I, I know that, that this is opening the, this is really the beginning of the journey. And I think a lot more people are starting to realize these kind of secrets that, you know, you, us here know, may know about. And so I'm, I'm really excited for that, but I can, I can tell you fold users will have the card this month in November. Um, there really is no other card experience like this. We've purposely made this to be, to reflect the, the values of Bitcoin, to feel completely fresh and new and really to create a, the easiest way for people to start their accumulation journey. So uh, I, I, I think we are right on the precipice. I'm, I'm, I couldn't be more excited to launch it. I want to start using this thing. Yeah, man, me too, me too. So, so how does it work? I mean, is it as simple as, you know, you just go anywhere Visa's accepted, swipe and uh, you get Fold rewards in the app? Yeah, so, you're, so this Fold card can be used at all 61 million merchants worldwide. Um, and you swipe the card, you use it online, and you're going to be guaranteed to get uh, Bitcoin back. Only Bitcoin. Uh, and there are many other things. You're going to earn uh, yield on this Bitcoin. You are going to, every time you swipe this card, you're going to be uh, given the chance to win an entire Bitcoin. Um, so we try to, uh, we really tried to look at designing this program with Bitcoin from the ground up. What are the game mechanics inherent in Bitcoin? What does proof of work mean and how that could be represented in a product? Um, and really what comes out is the more you engage with it, the more you're going to get back and you're guaranteed to increase your stack along the way. So uh, I, I think this is going to feel fresh. I'm, I'm a little nervous to launch it also because this is going to be so different than any other card. Uh, and I'm excited to see, you know, what, what the market says, but, you know, folds ethos, how we build products is build in the open. Um, and so this card from the ground up has, has been built, um, not only with Bitcoin in mind, but with our users in mind. So a lot of features that you're going to see are directly from, uh, requests that our users have had. Um, and, you know, we're extremely grateful for that. So what's exciting is that this, like you said, will probably be bringing in a lot of new people. And if you're making the experience really fresh, because, you know, credit card and rewards programs have been around forever. Um, if this experience is a lot different and you've got kind of the shine of, of Bitcoin and people's curiosity about it, uh, kind of backing it up, it seems like you might have this sort of like uh, a really great way to bring people into Bitcoin um, what is, what makes it so much different than like the traditional, you know, credit card rewards apps? Yeah. So, you know, we look at, you know, part where fold success is coming from and we see that 50, 50% of, of young people want to start investing in Bitcoin. A fraction of that have actually done that. Um, 42% of young people say they want to purchase Bitcoin in the next five years. And so with, with Fold, we're trying to deliver a familiar form factor, a card with a banking kind of fintech app, but in a directly created for this new emerging group of investors who are coming to market. Um, and so with us, this whole experience is inspired by Bitcoin and gaming. So our, our team loves both of these things. We're all Bitcoiners. A lot of us are gamers. And so what's going to happen is as you're using this card, there's going to be multiple ways to start earning. You're going to be guaranteed to be stacking sats probably far more than you would with your existing card, even high yield or high, uh, high reward credit cards. But it's not going to be your traditional credit card of 
you know, set it and forget it. It's going to be something that the more you engage, the more you're going to earn. We're going to have milestones for people. It's going to reflect where Bitcoin is and Bitcoin's price. One of the most amazing things that we've seen is, you know, on Fold, we, we, at, we um, advertise, you know, what rates you get back at these various retailers. So, you know, 4% at Amazon. Um, with the card, you're going to get 5%. But we start to look at the actual value you've been given. So now, you know, people have been stacking in March when the value is at $3,000. Now we're looking, hopefully we're going to punch through 14 today. You start to see <laughs> the percent cash back you got is no longer 4%. It's no longer 8%. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible what happens. You know, one of the things our users always talk about is, you know, each spend with fold, uh, the sats back I get is going to pay for it in the future anyway, the entire purchase. And, this is where Bitcoin becomes the greatest marketing invention ever. It is a payments technology. It is money. It is things. But ultimately, number go up. And this culture that we have created and building new ways to interact with this asset really does it for us. You know, Fold is seven people. Um, I am technically the marketing department. And that's because we don't really need it. We have Bitcoin to help us out here. And so um, I, I think the the I'm excited to start. So next week, we're going to start dropping uh, the full program details, but I can promise you that it is it is it is not going to look like your 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 average credit card or debit card. I think Super it's really exciting. really cool that you've identified this product market fit. Obviously, that I think the having the hundred thousand person sign up list really speaks to that. And I think that's so important when you're building these startups is really um, not just building for fun because the technology is cool, which you see a lot of you know on other platforms. You see a lot of very interesting quote unquote interesting projects, but with a very limited user base identifying where the actual pain points are for people and really um, really building your product to that. And like you said, you listen to your users, right? What are they interested in? Uh, earning the future of money that is increasing in value is very, very, it's a very powerful proposition. So uh, my hat's off to you for doing that. I think you're teaching people about that in the right way. They're earning their Bitcoin and they're seeing the value of the Bitcoin go up and they're understanding the value of the Bitcoin when contrasted to the value of their you know, US dollar holdings, which are, are not gaining in value. If anything, they're losing value tremendously. Um, so I think it's a great way to educate people by just watching a number. And, and you're right, like Bitcoin does all the marketing for us, right? The number grows up and more people come into the space. But having products at the right time uh, for the right audience is so critical. So very nice well, job. Well, thank you. Thanks, John. I, I have to say, you know, you you started off saying you may have gotten into Bitcoin for the wrong reasons. <laughs> and uh, I have to say, you know, I think a lot of us did. I, a lot of us did that, had that same journey. You know, part of my journey was building a product that didn't necessarily reflect, you know, what the market wanted or what Bitcoin was. So, you know, if you look back at where Fold started, it was spend Bitcoin on chain and receive a discount at, you know, Starbucks or any given thing. And the the idea was, Okay, a lot of people have this asset. For a lot of other people around, it's not real money because you can't use it at places. Well, that's a problem there. Let's create something that allows you to use it. You have a kind of a social ritual to say, hey, this is actually accepted. You're incentivized to get a discount on it. And that's what Fold was for a while. And the only reason why we are here versus today and the user base that we have today compared to then is shocking. Um, and uh, it's just about keeping your ear to the ground. This is not something, you know, this is not a token we're launching for a quick up and running. We're, we're building a business for the long term. And so one of the uh, most important things for that is to be very close to your users be, and especially very close to the 
the this phenomenon that we call Bitcoin because we're all learning about it in real time. Some of us are building a product on top of that. So we have to change our own minds and then we have to change the product too to reflect mm -hmm. that. And so uh, I, Fold has been an absolute journey about you know, that reflects mine and my team's journey about how we're understanding Bitcoin, how our users are giving us feedback into what we need to be building next. And all of what you've seen, the evolution of where Fold is, is the collective education that our user base has given, has kind of shown us back in a mirror and our own journey as well. And so we are excited and very grateful for, you know, things like, you know, Swan Force, this type of educational outlet that helps people accelerate that journey. Um, because, you know, for some of us, we were lost in the, in the woods for, for, for years and, uh, uh, this is this is the exact type of um, platform that's going to help people accelerate that that understanding. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so Corey Corey's in the chat saying uh, we don't need a marketing department, guys, because because Bitcoin's <laughs> going to do it, going to do it for us. Uh, so I'm I'm here. Like my title's head of education. That's kind of that was strategic, right? Because you know we we do, <laughs> our marketing is education our education is marketing and bitcoin number go up you know is is the main driver and we've seen that you know with subscriptions and and, and people setting up plans price goes up you know interest in swan goes up and that's just the way it works so you know we can throw in some education to complement that uh try to get people up to speed on what's going on and and really make better decisions about how to engage with bitcoin and and avoid uh scams and and uh gambling etc cetera, etc cetera. I think uh, that's, young, a, that's exactly, sorry, I just on that one yeah. point, I think that's exactly it, the difference of education and marketing. With us building on Bitcoin, we don't have to pretend Bitcoin is anything else that it is not. We don't have to sell a bill of goods that it doesn't reflect the underlying asset. For us, it's purely about opening up a door to allow people to see what's on the other side. That's yes. it. You know, the marketing side is, is, that's what I mean about the marketing aspect. Nothing has to be dressed up about what we're talking about. And it, in days like today, it plays out in real time in front of everybody. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I mean, it's we're up over twenty eight percent this month, uh, and and we're gonna we're gonna talk we're gonna talk uh, just bullishness here generally in a minute. But while we're talking uh, about businesses, Jan, I want to hear you you know talk about Swan and uh, you know the evolution of Swan. It's been about eight months now since we launched, maybe a little bit less than that. Um, but can you talk about, you know, how things have been going, what we've learned, how the products evolved, what we've got coming up? Yeah, we've, uh, I mean, we've learned a ton. So Swan, for those of you who don't know, was actually an evolution of another product called Give Bitcoin, which was originally founded by Corey. And Give Bitcoin was uh, a way to gift Bitcoin to your friends and couple that with education. And that was the first iteration of the idea of onboarding people through education and really turning them into Bitcoiners, not just people who are sent to some kind of exchange website to gamble, but really they're learning about this new asset. They're figuring out why it's important and they're learning to hold it. Give Bitcoin was actually coupled with a one-year time lock so that people couldn't uh, sell it if, you know, if the price went up or the, went down and, you know, kind of get wrecked, which a lot of people do in their first year of Bitcoin. I certainly got wrecked that way when I first bought Bitcoin. <laughs> um, but uh, over time, we also recognized this very kind of selfish drive for people to accumulate for themselves, which is really Swan, the evolution of Swan is recognizing that people want to build their own stack um, and doing it in a way that is uh, friendly to newcomers, right? This is was Swan's mission was always onboard the next 10 million Bitcoiners. Uh, and we use the word Bitcoiners specifically, not onboard the next 10 million crypto traders, right? Bitcoiners, people who understand why they're here and why they're going to hold on to this thing. And uh, of course, education is a huge part of that, as Brady mentioned, and that's why we're giving away the book too, uh, because the book really understands or it helps you understand why 
you are a, uh, a Bitcoin holder and why it's interesting to you and why you might want to pass it on to your children. Um, these are things that, that are very important to understand. Swan targets kind of two audiences at the same time. You know, one is we have this fun community on Bitcoin Twitter. Everybody loves to stack. You know, we're stacking sats. We're making a game out of it. Um, we're seeing who can stack the most. And there's a real fun component to it. And there's going to be more and more features coming out for that as well. Um, but the other one is we have to recognize that a lot of people are just new to Bitcoin. We see actually a lot of older folks coming in. We see a lot of boomers, uh, Gen Xers, uh, and millennials who are bringing their parents onto the platform. Uh, we actually onboard a lot of mother and daughter, mother and son combos, uh, which is really cool to see. And we have like the, the children emailing us in support saying, you know, my mom or my dad's coming on. Please be nice to them. Uh, please help them out. Which is which is fun to see, and and you know we, what we have to recognize with those people is uh, when we talk about Bitcoin, we talk about you know not your keys, not your Bitcoin, and we talk about self custody. These these are all really really tricky concepts, and so with Swan, we are always trying to balance that, you know, get them the foot in the door, but then teach them that next level, right? Um, so when we onboard people that are older, a lot of times they don't want to take self custody; they're actually not sure about how to do it. But sometimes they work with us and they work with their kids to kind of understand that as well. So we have all this like, uh, you know, email campaigns and trip programs that, that tell them about all this, um, uh, all the capabilities for their self-custody over time, but we don't try to hit them over the head with it and don't try to scare them with it because I think it is really important for people to feel secure about their holdings. And this is uh, something very tricky with Bitcoin user experience to balance that like ease of use, which is, you know, you sign up for an account on a bank and it's easy to use, but with Bitcoin, now you have to set up your wallet and, you know, write down your, your seed phrase or set up a multi-sig solution. These are all things that we're balancing with our education. Um, and then over time, you know, we're onboarding more and more folks. We've got started a lot, getting a lot of interest in people wiring money to us. And now we're getting bigger amounts. People are coming in with larger uh, purchases. We've uh, recently launched daily buys and we're launching uh, what we call formula buys, which would allow you to deploy, let's say, a lump sum over some period of time. Um, and you know, those formulas will get it more advanced over time. And, uh, we're bringing in a lot of, uh, other products that are going to be good for people's long-term, uh, savings. So for example, the support for entity accounts. So that if you want to come in as an LLC, if you have a checkbook IRA, you can come in and start uh, saving with us. And we're also going to be offering our own IRA products over time, uh, that would allow people to sign up and, and start accumulating for their future in a tax advantaged account, um, which I think is, is really important, right? In Bitcoin, a lot of us are not planning to spend our Bitcoin. We're planning to uh, save it for the future, save it for our kids. And so having people, uh, giving people those options is, is something that we're really excited about. Yeah, uh, just want to hit that one more time on the education front, swanbitcoin.com slash free book. And we are, like Corey says, uh, you know, one's propensity to store value in the Bitcoin mm -hmm. protocols correlated to one's understanding. And that really underlies, you know, what we're doing, at, you know, what Fold's doing, what we're doing at Swan, trying to just educate people, get people in the door and then kind of walk them along the Bitcoin path. Uh, plus, you know, things are getting easier in this Bitcoin only industry to, to hold your own keys um, easier and easier with companies like Unchained and Casa uh, providing solutions that. Uh, are really pretty simple to hold your own keys in a very secure multi-sig way. Uh, so that's that's really exciting as well. Uh, things are coming along. It's uh, an amazing time to be in this industry. Um, yeah, we're also seeing that play out in real time as people are increasing their plan sizes, right? We'll see people sign up yeah. for our accounts. You know, the most typical is 50 bucks or 100 bucks a week. They'll start stacking. A few weeks go by, they get our emails pumping, you know, Bitcoin uh, education. And we have all this 
information about what's going on in the market. You know, we have MicroStrategy buying Bitcoin. We have Square buying Bitcoin. All of a sudden, people are waking up and saying, oh, like this, is, this isn't just a joke. This isn't just something fun that I signed up for. This is real and it's happening live and I need to get in on this. Uh, and so right away, we see those people uh, talking about wiring in more money or increasing their plan sizes. And so a lot of our growth in the last, uh, even especially in the last four to six weeks, I would say, came from people actually increasing their plan sizes because, you know, they're seeing all the bullish news in the market. And it's very hard to ignore along with the price action that something is looks like is happening here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it does appear that we're on a precipice of an impending bull run. You know, I always get a little bit like I don't I don't want to be at, no absolutes right about the Bitcoin price. Don't want to guarantee it. Don't want to jinx it or whatever. Uh, oh, it looks we, like we already we already crashed it. This podcast already, already crashed. It. I, I, I try to hedge. I don't. I, I fail all the time, but I try to. Um, but yeah, it looks like we're on the precipice of, of a bull run here. Um, there is this palpable sense of energy on Bitcoin Twitter and just kind of in the space in general. Uh, we've had a nice pump, like I said, over the past month, over 28% up now. Um, and we have this emerging narrative of Bitcoin as a corporate reserve asset, a treasury reserve asset. And it's interesting because uh, we didn't really, I, as far as I can tell, um, see that coming or talk about it a lot. You know, we've been talking about the next narrative, really this, this cycle, really just like honing in on digital gold. That was going to be what brought in a bunch of like, you know, bigger investors, the boomers, maybe institutions as well. Um, but we didn't necessarily see that it was going to be bought by corporations a lot. Um, and that's definitely emerging now. We've got uh, just in, in response to the demands, you know, talk about listening to customers. We've launched Swan Treasury, uh, swanbitcoin.com slash treasury. Uh, get in touch with us and we'd love to help you out. We have a few clients already. Um, so, Jan, it seems it seems like like we kind of missed this, uh, but we have this narrative emerging now. How important do you think it is, and how I mean, how big of a deal can it be for Bitcoin? I think it's I think it's really big. Um, you know, for me, I've always when when people have asked me like, when is Bitcoin adoption going to happen? I've always said, well, what does that mean, right? What does adoption actually mean? And I've always thought that in order for Bitcoin to become widely distributed in the kind of everyday population, it's not going to be a quick process. I think it's a generational shift. And as Will pointed out, you know, 50% of young people want to buy Bitcoin, but still haven't. Uh, when you get older, and this is also research that Dan Tapiero has done, he's been talking to people that are in the 40s, 50s, 60s, above a certain age group, you get real friction. Like if you're 60 and over, not a lot of those folks are buying Bitcoin, although we are onboarding some of them at Swan, which is great. Um, but I'm under no illusion. I don't think my grandma is going to be buying Bitcoin. Um, so how will Bitcoin get adopted? I think there's a lot of different paths to it. And I think, unfortunately, or maybe unfortunately, to some degree, uh, Bitcoin, like anything else, it requires access to resources, right, and knowledge. If you if you understand Bitcoin and you have the money to buy some, you're going to be there and you're going to be doing that. Um, that's going to shift the balance a little bit towards people like Michael Saylor at MicroStrategy, who's been thinking about technology for 30 years and has a lot of money. Well, he's going to go and buy $500 million worth of Bitcoin faster than you and me are, right? Um, that's just the reality of it. So I think this is an important narrative because it legitimizes Bitcoin. So while, you know, he's over there buying his $500 million, now that's making Bitcoin safe, right? It's making it much more palatable to the average uh, company that's smaller than, say, MicroStrategy to look at it and say, hey, this guy just committed 500 million bucks. You know, wh what are we going to do? We're not going to put in, you know, $1 million into, our, into Bitcoin, right? What's in our treasury? How fast is it melting? And what are the smart people in the world doing with their treasuries, right? Now we have MicroStrategy. Now you have Square. You have a handful of other companies. They've just legitimized this whole concept, right? So as they legitimize Bitcoin, this has an overall effect to legitimize Bitcoin in the wider market. And that goes trickles down to people who are going to be looking at buying Bitcoin. 
including people who are millennials or boomers, it doesn't matter, right? They're looking at it in the news and they're seeing that the number one financial app in the app store is, you know, is buying Bitcoin, is selling Bitcoin. Um, that really changes the perception. And I think that's really important. So the, perce the perception shift leads the culture shift, which then creates this quote unquote mass adoption. Um, but I've always said the mass adoption may be in ways that we didn't predict, right? It may be that corporations or governments uh, use it first before the everyday person does. And that's just fine because Bitcoin is, is a system that has different properties for everybody, right? Everybody can benefit. And, and when one uh, side of it uh, acts, the, everybody else benefits from the increased uh, depth of market, the increased price, uh, and so on. Yeah, Will, when you see, you know, MicroStrategy making this $425 million buy there, it's well over worth uh, in dollar terms over $500 million now. It's increased by $95 million, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, in a few short months, that's four times annual revenue of the company. <laughs> They're having an earnings call this afternoon. It's a good day to have that earnings call. I'm definitely going to be watching it. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, this is the message that's going to be spread about. Like, look, the, the companies that are making big bets on Bitcoin as a treasury reserve asset are really seeing massive gains. That's just going to, you know, cause a snow pile in and maybe Jan, uh, it'll cause people to convert their personal treasury uh, into Bitcoin or at least some of it. Uh, I'm living on a 100% yeah. Bitcoin reserve. <laughs> it's made me a lot more comfortable about that, right? I, I also yeah. live with a very large, you know, most of my cash is in Bitcoin. And so I always have thought about it. I have to say that in the last six months, I've changed my perspe perspective. Uh, which was fueled by one, the you know the Corona-induced uh, printing of money, but two, these corporations making these bets. Because I used to say to people, you know, buy some Bitcoin enough so that you feel comfortable, you know, or spend as much or convert as much of your personal wealth to Bitcoin as you're comfortable with. And now yeah. my perspective has really shifted around. You should always be buying more and more Bitcoin, and not just because I launched Swan. I think that that had something to do with it. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but really, the the world is changing, right? The, the money is really being the base. We talk, used to talk about that it's, being, it's happening slowly, but it's really happening in a big way. And people are waking up to that. And now that these corporations are making these moves, they're really legitimizing the idea that your savings should be in Bitcoin and not some other money that is arbitrarily printed. Uh, yeah. So I've changed my perspective. Really, it has, it has it, look, I've been in the space for a long time, but even for me, it took years for me to feel that level of conviction. Some people feel it earlier and my hat's off to you. If you've been uh, stacking Bitcoin and 100% in Bitcoin, you know, for the last five years, but it took me a while. And I, I think it takes a lot of people a while, including smart people. It's just, it's a risk thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Will, what's your take on this, man? This, this kind of last few months, this big move to corporate reserve assets, uh, people accumulating and in that regard, uh, what's your take? And do you personally uh, hold Bitcoin as your reserve asset? <laughs> Well, I, I probably am overextended. I have myself and my company is using <laughs> right. primary reserve assets. So we're what you call all in. Now, you, we look back at, you know, we've always been talking about, okay, mainstream adoption is going to do it. No, no, government adoption is going to do it. And definitely corporate adoption as the reserve asset kind of came out of nowhere. But when you think about, you know, corporate uh, a corporation adopting Bitcoin, this actually comes down to a couple people in the organization who's making the case. These aren't, this isn't just some, you know, random thing that a big board decides together. There are Bitcoiners in these companies that have been advocating for this. So it all comes down to an individual level in us arming more and more individuals to take uh, steps that they can in their own life. Some people get their paycheck and that's what they do. And they can DCA with Swan and and stack with fold. 
Some people have other levers. They are entrepreneurs. They, they actually have a corporate uh, reserve to actually allocate to something. Uh, others uh, work in governments. Like these are, this is actually at an individual level of Bitcoiners going through the journey, getting their understanding to a level of confidence that not only are they okay with putting their own money into Bitcoin and using that as their res reserve asset, but they are ready to go to their board and make this case. And that board is most likely going to be made up of people in that boomer category who either have very positive or very negative uh, um, understanding of what Bitcoin is. And so it definitely takes a longer cycle. But to me, it's definitely the more I'm processing, it's just part of the saturation of education uh, amongst individuals that then are starting to pull whatever the lever they can to uh, to you know increase their exposure to Bitcoin. And so. I would say, you know, with Fold, we see we have had, you know, hedge uh, 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 family offices having their whole family spin the wheel together and stacking and just having fun with it, not ready to make the case. And then they'll they'll call and say, hey, well, let's talk. And, you know, for them, it's, you know, OK, tell me about Visa. Why is Visa interested or why is, you know, Stripe or all these other companies that we maybe work with about tell me how much they value it. And so they're not quite there yet about with their own journey to advocate to their own fund, but they're on the way. And so again, it's, you know, MicroStrategy, Michael Saylor went down the rabbit hole far before uh, actually MicroStrategy did this, uh, you know, allocation to as their reserve asset. Jack Dorsey, the same thing. So it's coming from familiar places and it's all coming from an individual level. And as Jan was talking about, these things just start to stack. Once you have Jack Dorsey getting Square to do it, now it's not just fringe Jack Dorsey CEO, it's Square that those people have investments in. And so it, it starts to lower the barrier of, of, um, of mystery of this asset or the idea of risk of it. And so these are just reverberating circles around individuals. And uh, I think it's incredible to see that, you know, that's where it's coming from. Uh, Bitcoin at the end of the day is about empowering individuals. And so you see this individuals then taking this and then orange pilling their, their, their companies, their families, their, their friends. And um, I think right now we're just seeing this start to hit a critical mass. Uh, guys, I'm so bullish right now. I'm so bullish. This is amazing. Uh, Grayscale release. I mean, just speaking of more bullish stuff coming out, news coming out, uh, Grayscale released their annual report today. Um, they, their Bitcoin investor study revealed that uh, over half, 55% of U.S. investors, uh, this is a market that they estimate at about 32 million people, people with over $10,000 of investable assets on hand, uh, households. Um, and that's up from 36% last year. So a 20% increase just in one year, over half of, uh, so what is that, 16, 17 million households interested in investing in Bitcoin. Um, this is this is like next level, right? And this is this is not just companies and the companies that news, like you said, will kind of de-risk that or give people uh, a reason to really uh, to, to really get in if they've been thinking about it. Uh, and as you know, new all-time high comes, uh, it which you know we've been talking about this talking the chat's talking about it too. Um, we're at thirteen thousand six hundred dollars now. Um, I think the the local high, the previous high, was at Bitcoin twenty nineteen. Uh, yeah, last year, uh, like April or May or June. I think it was June or something. Thirteen thousand eight hundred dollars. It ran up during that weekend, and that was a lot of fun. Everybody was super excited. Uh, we're we're back there. It took us a while, but we're back there. Um, 
what what do you guys think about that when you see that number and if we break that how how soon do we get to the all-time high just you know in our in our uh amateur uh bitcoiner ta <laughs> <laughs> we're actually above that right because we're aren't we above that in market cap i haven't looked at numbers exactly but more bitcoin has been issued since that time so if it was 13 back then and it's 13 again now it's actually more value uh stored in, in the market cap might be it might be i think we're at 240 billion or something and that, that's actually something really interesting Let's see what the market cap is. So 250 billion, 252. So I actually started talking about market cap. I, I'm trying a new technique with my friends and my, you know, my very social uh, engagements is not to talk about the price because when you say Bitcoin is $13,000, what does that sound like to the average person? It sounds like, what the hell? That's like insane. Somebody's willing to pay $13,000 for some digital beanie baby. Like what that makes no sense, right? Um, it sounds expensive. It sounds crazy. Um, however, when you say Bitcoin is worth $250 billion, Okay, that's a different conversation because you're establishing that the market as a whole has this tremendous value. And that value is being tapped into by large entities like a microstrategy, like a, like a square. Um, you're, you're having a different conversation. Bitcoin is worth $250 billion. Gold is worth $10 trillion, right? Jan froze. Will, take over, man. I can take over here, yeah. <laughs> I, I think where Jan was going is exactly right. I think we're all playing with what is the right angle to, to uh, you know, it's, 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 there is a unit bias here. And so look, there are many ways to measure Bitcoin's can, success. Sorry. How are we doing? Are we still in here? Yeah, keep going, man. Awesome. So yeah, we have, ha we have hash rate. We have market cap. We have price of a coin. We have the fact that the one number that never changes, that there are 21 million. There are many ways to get in, in into this. And so I think uh, speaking about this more as a market cap, it goes to this level of this de-risking. When you talk about price and there is volatility and that volatility is great, but it takes people a little while to understand why that volatility is great. And so when you talk about market cap, you start to get into things uh, like, hey, there's 250 billion of smart money in here. Let's talk about who is in here. Who's, who's part of this? And it goes far beyond a fringe group of people now. That tent is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more legitimized from traditional credentials out there. And so uh, for me, I, I think that's a, a very successful way of, of, of speaking about it. Um, on the other side, when we're breaking down Bitcoin into Satoshis, you know, fold there's actually maybe in our metadata for SEO, we include Bitcoin, but nowhere in fold do we really talk about Bitcoin. We talk about Satoshis. Everything is, is, is measured in sats. And so on both sides, we're speaking to, you know, we're, we're reimagining what are the metrics that are going to get people in here? What's going to help people click faster? Let's get rid of, uh, you know, unit bias. Let's talk about the overall market cap and who is contributing to that growth in that market cap. Um, I think are all are have all been real breakthroughs in the last year, actually alone, of how we speak about Bitcoin. And so, and you know, I, I'd say you know we're talking about here in the chat on the side. I see you know the amount that Bitcoin that Square is selling, the amount that uh, Grayscale is eating up, the amount that MicroStrategy put in is eating up the rewards, total rewards for weeks at a time. And so I think for the also for the first time, we are actually seeing this scarcity actually play out in real time in a very obvious way that's not that's not just obvious to people who are you know looking at the charts that are um actually looking at emissions reward rewards and everything 
This is now felt by actual people. And I think we're going to only see that more. And that's going to be an underlying FOMO mechanism that's going to be constantly there. And so, uh, you know, I, I think when you talk about where we are bullish and where we're going, I think Bitcoin has this amazing element to just uh, be both sound money and all about rationality. But with us humans are being emotional people. It is the price and everything is going to be determined by irrationality because it's going to be like, where is my value most safe? And that value, your money in your mind is worth more than the actual money that you have. And so for us, Bitcoin is going to be the tent that's going to absorb that imagination. Um, and the, you're going to be confident to follow that because of the sound infrastructure that it's built on. So I don't, it's, 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 a, it's such a phenomenon that creates so many questions of psychology, economics. You have to be, you know, the Renaissance man to actually fully grok this. And I'm, I'm still managing myself along the way. But, you know, this year has been uh, enormously helpful regardless of how many years you've been participating in this space. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Will, for picking up uh, my thoughts mid-sentence. You finished them perfectly. Um, <laughs> can, I, can, I hire you? can I hire you as a body double? <laughs> um, it was, I think you had made a really great point about the stats. Both the stats and the market cap are a good way to think about it uh, because they do eliminate that kind of arbitrary, not like $13,000 is an arbitrary number of, uh, based on 100 million Satoshis, right? 100 million units of the actual currency. Um, so it is a very strange thing to do. And I really hate those articles that say, you know, Bitcoin is now worth more than gold because they're comparing the price of Bitcoin to an ounce of gold. And it's like completely arbitrary. <laughs> like it doesn't actually help anybody. It's actually not worth more than gold. It's tremendously undervalued compared to gold. Um, so I think we need to eliminate those unit biases and we need to work on ways to explain uh, Bitcoin to people. You can think about it as sats. In that case, it looks incredibly cheap. Um, you can look at it as a market cap, in which case you can talk about all the money that's going into the market, like you said. I think both of those are great ways of talking about it. Um, but Bitcoin is is complicated, right? It's different things for different people. And understanding that the narratives that we have uh, are targeting different kinds of individuals is also very important. Uh, and so, you know, I would probably not talk about sats to a high net worth individual necessarily, but I probably would talk about it to, you know, an everyday user who just wants to earn some cash back. That, that makes total sense to me as well. Yeah, yeah. We're making stats the standard uh, for for most people, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I think we've got Corey in uh, here backstage. Uh, Brecky, if you want to bring Corey uh, on, there he is. There's the man, Corey. Good to see you guys, Will. Good to see you, man. Yeah, it's been a while, Corey. Yeah, it's it, it feels like years ago, hanging out and <laughs> having Mexican food and margaritas. Margaritas at the same brush. <laughs> man lots lots gone on since then it has anyway. I, I, thought, I thought we could jump into uh to talking about paypal and talking about uh businesses who that are uh you know offering uh quote unquote bitcoin uh through their apps like paypal and Robinhood. uh that is not withdrawable not depositable uh that really is just kind of a, a dollar denominated version of Bitcoin. It's a UX. It looks, you, you see Bitcoin, but really on the back end, it's just, uh, it's just PayPal and Robinhood playing, uh, playing with dollars. Um, what do we think about, like, how does that game theory play out for companies like Swan and Fold who are dealing in actual Bitcoin uh, and trying to educate people to take control of their Bitcoin and actually buy the underlying asset uh, versus these large legacy institutions uh, that have, kind of this massive reach, but don't really care to deal with the asset itself. Who wants to take a first stab at that? This is, the next, this is the next 
this is the next right. educational battle that that is starting for Bitcoin only companies. You know, the the whole reason why Robinhood and PayPal have decided to jump in is because their cards were their hand was forced um, by by Square. There's just the the metrics that you see from just when these companies add Bitcoin to the, the user adoption that they see their cost of acquisition going way down, profits and revenue going up, their stock price going up. They already know, and they've already had examples like the Coinbase's success and, and others. They know that they're going to miss the boat. And so what you've seen with the PayPal uh, and uh, Robinhood style implementations of, of Bitcoin buying on their app is just a FOMO haphazard, let's get in there and totally you know, uh, do it in a way that is really comfortable for us. We don't have to actually um, you know, bring on the, the reality of what Bitcoin is or what it could be for their users. And so for the Bitcoin only companies, it's now our job to fully realize and help educate users on the difference between that. What, what, is, what does that mean? Because for a lot of people, just getting a position in Bitcoin is an enormously large task. It takes a lot of education just to be like, okay, now I'll do it. Now they already have PayPal, they already have Robinhood, and that's just the, uh, the most frictionless way to get there. But what they don't know is the whole rest of the story. And that's what these Bitcoin only companies need to do is to, is to uh, educate about that, defend that, and to really say the value proposition that a Bitcoin on a, a Robinhood versus a Bitcoin on a, a platform that allows you to self-custody it are not worth the same. Those, those have very different values. And so uh, for us, it's, it's, it's certainly something that we feel is the next phase because while Bitcoin getting in the hands of 300 million new people with PayPal is incredible news that we should all be bullish about, that's not, this, that's not the actual Bitcoin that we came, that we're all here for. And so it lands on us as Bitcoin builders to, to change that narrative. And you know, we're used to being in the, the David versus Goliath position. And so it's pretty comfortable for us all, I think. Yeah, I, I would also say that um, I really like this recent article that was put out by Alex Svetsky about Bitcoin's uh, necessity versus luxury in different places. Um, PayPal is, is not a does not cover all countries in all cases. Uh, I mean, imagine having this number on PayPal. For Americans, it might be OK to have a number on PayPal, um, but you can't send it across borders to certain countries. Uh, you can't pass it on to your children. There's certain use cases that are not covered by anything except for physical Bitcoin. And so I think those use cases will always drive Bitcoin's adoption as a physical underlying asset. And the people who really need those use cases will always have a way to get that. Because Bitcoin, I mean, just because Bitcoin exists in these databases like PayPal doesn't make it less Bitcoiny, right? I mean, it is less Bitcoiny over there, but Bitcoin itself still exists. So you can always go and get that actual Bitcoin from a company that will sell you the actual Bitcoin and allow you to actually withdraw it. So I think there will always be a use case for that and a demand for that. And we have to remember that we are entering into a world, a brave new world of digital money where most of our money is going to be digital and it's all going to be gated. And pretty soon people are going to be you know, limited by that. And lo there's lots of places in the world where you literally can't take the money out of the country with you. You can't send it abroad. You can't travel with it. So many problems with that money that you're going to want the physical Bitcoin to enable you to do those things. And the number inside of PayPal is not going to enable you to do those things. And that narrative around freedom is always going to drive Bitcoin uh, in the places where, which need it the most. Now, it is possible that in America, because for us, for most part, Bitcoin is a luxury item. It's not a day-to-day -day necessity to survive. A lot of people might buy that number on PayPal and be happy with it and see it go up and think that they have something. 
Um, but it all just, you know, I think over time, as our laws become more and more um, restrictive and more authoritarian, especially with digital payments, people are going to wise up to this. And I agree with Will, it is our job to educate people on this, why, why money should be free from government and corporate control. And uh, over time, we're going to see that develop. But again, it's going to happen more in the places that need it and maybe less in the places that where it's a luxury. So I have a little take on the PayPal thing. PayPal didn't do this for their users in the same way that, let's say, like Square selling Bitcoin, you know, seems like a good thing or what Swan is doing or whatever. PayPal did this for PayPal. This is actually leveraging the strengths of Bitcoin and actually understanding, uh, you know, basically what it does and the economics of this for PayPal. And I don't understand it deeply, but I'm starting to kind of grok it just talking to people. Uh, you know, they don't keep their users usually just generally like take the payment and withdraw it very quickly. And, you know, PayPal has uh, partners and vendors to pay out. They connect with banks and they have ACH fees and all kinds of other things. And so basically if they can get uh, a huge percentage of people, even a small percentage of people to uh, keep their money on platform, which they're much more likely to do if they have a good store of value in Bitcoin or if they're speculating or whatever it is, Bitcoin should, uh, absolutely skyrocket the amount of value that's stored with PayPal and they're not going to lower their fees. So they're, they're going to eat way more margin than they have before having to provide on and off ramps for their users with, you know, every other banking and financial partner uh, in the global financial ecosystem. So this is potentially an absolutely massive win. It's very selfish. It's freaking amazing because it shows that using Bitcoin you know, selfishly for PayPal, you know, which has a, a lot of pro Bitcoin people. I mean, remember this company initially was founded to try to keep create like true digital e-cash back in the late nineties. That was the goal. Um, and they had a CEO, you know, who left in 2014 that keeps on getting dredged up because he said some nasty things about Bitcoin, but that dude's not important. The guy that's been there for six years is pro Bitcoin. Like, you know, they're going to be just fine. They cannot, uh, they can't safely run this business without actually having a ton of Bitcoin exposure. They are going to have to hold a stack. They're going to have to, you know, hedge and buy, you know, they'll probably like match whatever their users hold synthetically. So it'll be kind of fractional reserve-ish, but they're going to have to buy a lot of out of the money calls and sort of, you know, there, there's going to be upward pressure on the price because of this business now existing at PayPal. So, you know, it's super bullish. Uh, it's also going to be exceptionally clear to people that this is not Bitcoin, not your keys, not your coins. And you're going to have withdrawal limits. If you buy a lot of Bitcoin, you know, on PayPal, A, you're going to be paying like 4%, which is going to suck. And, you know, as soon as your friend tells you, you can get it much cheaper somewhere else, you'll probably do that. Um, you know, but this is, this is like top of funnel. This is like, you know, day after day after day after day of CNBC coverage and then some CNN coverage and then some 60 minutes coverage and having it actually be positive for once. Um, it's so a great it, legitimizing force, yeah. right? It also it's just amazing. PayPal saying like, we're, we're embracing Bitcoin as a huge legitimizing force. And that's part of this year's narrative in general is all the legitimization that's happening from traditional companies entering in the space. And frankly, that is worth so much in and of itself, uh, that it doesn't matter if they just give you a number because you don't have to go and buy that number there. Go buy it in a real place. Uh, they're just going to legitimize the market for us. Yep. And people are going to get frustrated when they try to withdraw their Bitcoin and, you know, it's 2K a day or whatever limits they put on it, self 
selfishly, they're going to try to keep it in their ecosystem. They're going to make it hard. And if you store a lot of, you know, Bitcoin exposure on PayPal, it's going to suck trying to get it off. Yeah. And you can't even withdraw it at this point, right? Like you can't, you, you can't can withdraw, withdraw the Bitcoin, but I mean, it's, they're probably going to even have, you know, limits on the amount that you can sell each day because they're going to have to hedge that off. And, you know, so yeah. they're, you're not going to be able to, you know, store your wealth in PayPal. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I, I'm on the same page there. Novogratz, speaking of, you know, being on CNBC every day, uh, last week during that, during the pump that's continuing this week, uh, they had somebody on talking about Bitcoin just about every day. Um, Paul Tudor Jones is on there, uh, talking about, and this, this, I love Michael Saylor also talked about this, that one of the big value props of Bitcoin are Bitcoiners, right? Are these people who are passionate, who will, you know, fight for the network, as Michael Zaylor says, fight to the death uh, on behalf of the network. Uh, you know, we saw what happened in 2017 with UASF and, and kind of proving that out and continues every day on Twitter, uh, just people really fighting for the network and fighting for Bitcoin as a cause, right? Um, so Paul Tudor Jones called that out, saying he's even more bullish on Bitcoin than he was when he announced his position earlier this year. Mike Novogratz said that the PayPal thing, like Corey was saying, uh, was a shot heard around the world on Wall Street. So there's no banking institution that can ignore Bitcoin at this point. Um, and, and maybe there's no corporation that can ignore uh, the idea of having Bitcoin on their balance sheet now uh, and no person, individual. So we're just seeing these dominoes fall. Um, do you guys have a guess on on uh, the next company, big company, a publicly traded company that will uh, buy some Bitcoin? Of the of the big of the big you know big names uh, Famga type companies. Hey, Facebook's got a lot of Bitcoiners over there, right? <laughs> but I don't know. I think it's I think it's a tough call. I think a lot of them might actually just not. It might not be the big companies, right? They're the big companies are slow to move, right? Despite the that we think they're tech leaders and so on, they are big and they have a lot of money at stake. Um, I actually am very bullish on smaller companies and mid-sized companies coming in and eating up all that Bitcoin while the big ones are asleep at the wheel. <laughs> you guys know already i'm super bullish on my first employer i think microsoft will do something within the next year um i think it's just amazing marketing for them i think satya took over and you know pushed open source open source open source they've already thrown tons of resources into bitcoin projects and been very friendly uh, i think it's a pr coup for them and i think it's probably a net negative for all of the other four yeah, I'd, or at I'd least cause, are... causes complications for the other four. I would say. Yeah, I'd, um, I'd agree with that. I'd, so there's this. There's definitely an element of uh, you know Bitcoin definitely threatens some of the underlying you know models and and just ideas of some of these corporations, and so they might be slower to get it. But you know, you know things like Microsoft, Apple. You know, Michael Saylor talks about his ice cube melting. Think about how large that ice cube is for them. Like. They see that every single day and they feel that with the real inflation rates of, you know, whatever, up to 10%. That's, uh, that's real. And so I think uh, it's going to be increasingly, increasingly an interesting move. I think people have already seen what it does to the stock alone. I think the, the position that, that Square took with, uh, was made up by the gains in their stock price that very day. And so there seems to be a no-lose situation for these, for these companies and so, you know, maybe next one that has a PR issue that they want to cover up with some big news or getting afraid of that ice cube melting faster than they thought. Uh, I, 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 I think we're going to see some jump in. But, you know, I, I like the news stories of like the Tahina restaurant, putting exactly. their reserve asset. I, yeah. That's 
that's the kind of thing I look at and say, that's the Bitcoin I want to see come come to fruition. I think, you know, a lot of this space needs to work at all levels of of adoption. You know, we have, you know, hedge funds, corporations, blah, blah, blah. We also have Swan and Fold that is really about democratizing access to the the little people, the, the everyday people. And whether that's your, you know, your own restaurant that you own, your own family finances, uh, I would love to see that explode. Now, they are going to move the needle a lot less than I think some of these big, big movers. And I think it's all good, but I would hate to see these, um, you know, smaller mid-sized companies miss out on this because I think it will be life-changing for them. I actually think it's really great uh, because Bitcoin, due to how the liquidity of it works, right? It's a lot easier to buy $100 worth of Bitcoin than it is to buy $100 million, right? Like anybody could buy $100 worth. Uh, almost anybody could buy a million dollars worth. You can go on an exchange and do that. But do it, uh, you know, doing a Michael Saylor move requires some gymnastics. So um, I do think that that's very bullish for smaller companies because they can actually front run some of the bigger ones by starting to acquire Bitcoin. And it's no big deal for them at their level. Uh, and some of the bigger companies are going to have to wait for Bitcoin's depth of market and liquidity uh, to grow over time. I mean, you can't, you know, you maybe you can buy half a billion, but I don't know about buying 10 billion, for example, right? So that's a, it's a totally different ball game when you get to that size. Uh, and that's great. It lets people accumulate at lower prices and, um, and you know, hopefully kind of, quote unquote, redistribute the wealth in a fair way. <laughs> the most asymmetric opportunity in human history. And that goes for individuals go. and small companies, right? Um, what do you guys think about, um, hold on my notes here. I got distracted by some comments. First of all, in the comments, if you'd like to, uh, let us know what companies you think are next. Um, I see some, I see an Amazon. Um, I would like to see some more comments in there about, uh, about companies that you think are interesting. Uh, yeah. You want to, you want to take a stab at that one? Uh, what's the advantage for small government? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I, I did see. Some, yeah. Well, first, somebody asked about uh, like endowments and pension funds. And, you know, there is some of that already. Um, there are endowments that have been unfortunately investing in lots of crypto funds, but most of those crypto funds are, you know, 50% Bitcoin anyway. So they are getting some exposure through through some of those. Um, I do think you'll start to see some of the endowments actually seek direct Bitcoin exposure you know, over the next probably two quarters or so. I think uh, there's enough, there's enough CYA cover your A <laughs> out there now with the, uh, with the companies and the PayPal news. Um, um, managers or some big stacks. So I could see that popping off pretty quickly. Um, we did have a question in there uh, from Bitcoin Diplomat. You know what would the advantage be for small governments giving up your currency means giving up control um maybe yon or will want to take a pass at that i definitely have some thoughts uh i could take a high level pass i mean i think um when we talk about governments giving up control it's, it's seldom giving up it's usually that the control they lose control right um if you go to my twitter profile i posted a link from a company called winston that did research on black market currencies and uh the country that i'm from the soviet union uh, in the height of the Soviet Union's economy, you know, the U.S. dollar was fully illegal, like 100% legal, go to jail illegal. And guess what? Like 80% of the economy ran on black market money. Uh, because when you have a dysfunctional currency, the markets run on black market money. Uh, and the best black market money is Bitcoin. So, you know, governments may not, quote unquote, give up control, but 
when your exchange rate is so vastly divorced from the real market rate and people can't really buy and sell goods in the local currency because it's so rapidly devaluing, you don't give up control. You just lose control. You either devalue your currency to, you know, officially to match that rate. And this is what uh, the research shows has happened over time. They either devalue the currency or the government falls or one of those things happens, right? The black market always wins because market always wins because people at the end of the day need to buy and sell and trade with each other. And if the currency is non-functional, they're going to find another way. Um, so I think we're going to see that kind of thing happen. I don't know if Bitcoin is ready for, you know, to replace an entire country's worth of currency action. Uh, the Lightning Network's certainly not ready for that. So it's early, but at the same time, those transactions, you know, just like in the United, in the, in the Soviet Union, if you wanted an apartment back in the 80s, you were paying in, in U.S. dollars, uh, unless you wanted to be on a two-year waiting list for one. So uh, you always find a way when there's necessity. Yeah, I would yeah. say for a lot of these smaller countries, it's, it's a question of how much control they actually already have today. And I think that's a question. I think we look at, you know, a very privileged position about the monetary supremacy of the U.S. dollar. And uh, that is not a position enjoyed by the majority of the world governments. And so while, yes, it definitely is, an, I think Jan's point, governments don't give up control, they lose control is absolutely true. Uh, but also, I wouldn't underestimate uh, that these governments also don't necessarily have the control that we think they do over their own monetary policy. That's right. I mean, people are <laughs> people are evading these capital controls left and right. If you, it's just that's just the name of the game. Yeah, I, I've been listening to macro podcasts as I often do, and uh, one of the things that's come up a lot in the last um, after. The IMF's sort of uh, hopeful announcement of uh, Bretton Woods too, or whatever they're going to try to <laughs> try to do. Europeans trying to take some power back from the U.S. Basically, um, one thing that keeps on coming up is having a seat at the table is uh, greatly affected by how much gold you have. So if you have a lot of gold, you know, basically you you have hard money. And uh, and you'll have a larger voice at any table um, if it if it comes off and there's some kind of conference or whatever. So that's what people are kind of speculating on. It's like, oh, German, you know, they'll probably carry a little extra weight versus somebody that has, you know, completely depleted their gold reserves. So I think that same game theory uh, and logic plays out for having uh, an even harder asset that's more liquid and, you know, more scarce in Bitcoin it may not play out in the next year, but over the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, if you're going to continue to see uh, government-sponsored and backed, you know, fractional reserve fiat seas, you know, having uh, a decent amount of gold and having a decent amount of Bitcoin in your reserve is going to give you the right uh, to to do that and can make your fiat currency not depreciate so quickly and inflate against these other currencies the way that it's happening in you know Venezuela, Argentina, Turkey, whatever. Um, so I, I absolutely see, you know more and more uh countries over time you know i think our new thing should be like in vanuatu <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> or, or bermuda bahamas you know whatever was mentioned in the beach boys song you know all the caribbean <laughs> islands should just be stacking some stats yeah but um and it's gonna be interesting perhaps you're making also the case that like what what you're saying is gold gives a country credibility that they're able to amass uh, as a scarce resource and it's kind of like that building of the pyramids that demonstrates your ability to uh, to you know, garner these resources to build something of value. 
Um, and it's the same with Bitcoin, where you have this hard asset, it's very difficult to come by. You have to have a mining uh, infrastructure, which is difficult to come by. You have to have very cheap power, which is difficult to come by. All of these things require you to expend real world resources. And that demonstrates your credibility as a nation, potentially, um, and may in the future buy you a seat at that table. Uh, it's also possible that we have countries that still maintain their own currency, but you know, if their currency is collapsing, they can actually issue a currency against Bitcoin, a digital currency that is real-time auditable, and you can, they can show their Bitcoin holdings on-chain to all of their people and say, look, this is the Bitcoin we have, this is the currency that's out there in the world, you can real-time audit the currency supply against Bitcoin, and you're basically back to a gold standard. Um, and the government still has control over that currency, they can still print more of it, but now it's real-time auditable against a hard, hard asset. And perhaps that's what gives them the credibility to restore uh, the, the functionality of their currency in the near term. Yeah, I, I think Will's point is the most important here. Like, they, these countries are already disadvantaged, right? This is the 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 point that I keep going back to uh, by the international Cantillon effect of the USD. They're sort of held hostage by it, in a sense. So I think there's definitely game theory in favor of you know smaller countries kind of banding together and creating sort of a Bitcoin um, you know trade zone, international Bitcoin trade zone, and being friendly to Bitcoiners and Bitcoin companies, and um, you know being getting the first mover advantage on that front. Um, so Jan was talking there, and I think you know he he meant on a, you know, like a countrywide level, Lightning's not ready. Um, I know that Fold obviously works a lot with Lightning. Will, what's your take on the state of Lightning and, and where it's going? So I would I would agree with Jan. We, we can't uh, replace Kokomo Island's uh, payment processing quite yet with Lightning. Um, but what we are seeing is, I think, a Number one, exploration of the purpose of Lightning. What is the use case that we are going to see break out? Uh, there are many different you know, uh, uh, versions of how a light, successful Lightning ecosystem could play out. And we are seeing just as we talked about Bitcoin uh, back you know, three, five years ago, there were really only exchanges around. And that's was the entire use case, was this kind of trading thing. Um, wallets were still pretty primitive. You could hold it, send it, and that was pretty much where the infrastructure was. And with Lightning, we are now seeing just an absolute explosion of these use cases, all mining for the product market fit of Lightning. One of them will, will pop off, and it will be different depending on where you are. And so clearly there's the you know, Lightning as it relates to exchanges. There is Lightning as uh, be able to push micro amounts of value. Then there's Lightning of replacing your you know, Visa terminal as, as a payment processor. And I think all of those are in various states of development right now. But I think the, the metric to look at is where are people, where are people building? And it has some of the best teams building on it right now, uh, experimenting wildly. And, uh, you know, what we see just from what we see on our end is that, uh, it is far easier. So we launched a thing called lightning pizza back a very long time ago, it feels like, can't even remember here. Uh, and this was essentially, there was no real reason to use the Lightning Network yet. And so we were going to create a reason to, an incentive to use it. So we did Domino's Pizza, integrated it with their POS system so that uh, you can get you know 10% off every Domino's order. And that was a reason for people to jump into the ecosystem and start trying it. Now, we are now seeing that explosion of use cases across many different ones. And so I think many are in different states, but for Fold, we see a constant increase in in our lightning volumes on a monthly basis. Um, it still is a very tiny fraction of, of Fold's total 
um, total volumes. However, it is it is growing at a, at a rapid clip. And it's going to be interesting to see the forcing functions of higher fees, of um, more congestion on the network, of uh, just simply more friction of using on-chain uh, for smaller payments. And so what we're going to see is either that finds a product market fit and succeeds wildly, or that's just not the direction that Bitcoin was going. And I think we are seeing very strong signals uh, that there are some emerging use cases there that will emerge just from the fact of it's going to be hard to use Bitcoin when fees are so ridiculously high for normal people. It will be really only be in the in the hands of people who are moving a ton of value at one time. And, and Lightning Network could be that, just another way of transferring value like we currently do with Bitcoin on chain, but keeps the fees in a reasonable place. So I think it's very much still an experimental phase, but you know, for Fold, we are only seeing our this volume increase and you know definitely bullish especially when you look at all the talent developing in the space yeah i agree it's going to be a necessity thing to one of one of the aspects and the other aspect is really just time right because like everything else it's going to take way longer than we think uh, i mean look at email it, you know it was like 20 years from when email came out to gmail uh, and it became usable by the average person so, um, you know, there's always this meme of Lightning Network. It's not ready. It's going to be ready in 18 months. Uh, you know, I think it's going to take 10 years to fully play out. Like any new technology, um, not only is it a technology problem, it's also a liquidity problem. So we need to have people onboarding into Lightning over time. And it's great that we have products like Fold that are doing that. But I think it's just a, it's just a time function and an adoption function. And it's going to be very gradually then suddenly. And it also could be that the use cases that we laid out aren't even the ones that drive it, right? It's like corporate adoption happened with Bitcoin and kind of came out of left field. Maybe there's some lightning thing that we none of us have thought of at all. And it's just going to emerge out of left field. It's going to take over. Um, so all of those things are possible. I agree. Lightning is very bullish. I think it's a really great technology. My comments were really just, you know, the realistic comment of like, it cannot sustain the liquidity required for a country's worth of an economy today. Uh, that's, yeah. just, that's just the facts. But I'm still very bullish on lightning. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, First of all, guys, we have 133 people watching, 43 likes. So let's get that up above 100. It will help with discovery. You know, after this live stream's over, uh, we want to get it into more people's feeds. So I uh, appreciate that if you can smash that like button for us and subscribe if you're not already. Uh, let's wrap up with a couple of, you know, kind of quick questions. You guys can go around and answer one price. Um, we want to just hear, get price predictions. I think we kind of already did this, but let's do it again. Um, we had a request for it in the uh, in the chat. Uh, the 13.8 resistance level. Uh, what happens after that? What happens after we break the all-time high? Uh, what happens after we break the one trillion dollar market cap? Like, how high are we going to go? And the final question is, what do you think we're going to hear on the MicroStrategy uh, earnings call today, shareholders call today? First of all, thank you for the leading questions, baby. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Great. I think the answers were in the questions. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Oh, man. The answer to both questions is moon. moon. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I, I don't <laughs> insert bullish caption. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm always, you know, I, I love to be the conservative one because then I'd like, I just really enjoy being like wrong, right? I, I just want to be like, no, we're going back down to 10K. It's going to be a nightmare. Everybody's going to cry. But you know what? Here's the thing 10K is 10 times higher than we were like three years ago. So what, what are we even talking about? Um, we're going to go up, but it's going to take a long time. I think this is going to be pretty choppy. So 
who knows i i don't know man i don't trade i just i just stack sets this is why i don't comment on price <laughs> yeah. yeah fair I'm I'm with you, Jan. I I, just, I know it's the most boring answer, but uh, you know, I, I think there's this there is a thing. Once you've been around for a while, when price goes up, it actually makes you a little bit sad, and when price goes down, it 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 it, it makes you extremely excited. So I'm, I'm I feel like I'm I'm uh, I'm reverse to someone new coming in here and saying, "I right, let's get this number going up." And so um, I think. I do think that there is a great irrationality in, in FOMO that will happen once we break any of these price resistance, 13, 8, 20. Um, it is just something seared in the memory of everybody around. So, you know, all of us here have a ton of friends who are, you know, probably texting you now about what they should do about their Bitcoin, but also were the ones saying, hey, when's, since when, how long has it been since it was at 20K? And this is just a thing that like everyone knows Bitcoin in their household and they a lot of them know that it was at 20K at one point or right around there. That is going to be a psychological barrier, just like there was that moment with, you know, Bitcoin insiders when it achieved dollar parity. Like I still think of that as such an incredible moment to happen where, you know, Bitcoin, you know, it was, it's worth a dollar now. And it says like this, holy shit, this is like a, a moment of money. It's arbitrary. It's totally arbitrary moment. But I think there is something that happens with these psychological things. You know, Bitcoin is a is a social technology to a big, you know, to a very large extent. And uh, big movements in that way uh, will have, I think, pretty, you know, pretty crazy effects on how people start to think about it in their mind. And that 50% of 55% investors who want to allocate into Bitcoin who haven't yet, they're going to do it when it hits 20 and they're going to be a little late. They're going to be later than they wanted to. But um, I think that is going to be a switch that goes on in a very broad way. Agreed. So we didn't build Swamp to have to have these conversations, but now we actually have to have these conversations because we sort of quietly rolled out uh, something called Swan Private. So we have a lot of high net worth individuals wiring like large chunks of money now and asking, you know, Jan and I, and sometimes Reed, like, how should I deploy this? <laughs> so we're kind of, you know, we're, you know, we're, we always say, you know, Swan and chill and just dollar cost average in or whatever. But, you know, the, the, the view that I've always had long before uh, we even started this product was, you know, really in line with what you what Brecky flashed up on the screen, which is you know the 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 more you understand Bitcoin, the more likely you are to buy. So if you have a big chunk of fiat, and you know you have conviction, and you're dealing with an asset that has upward skewed volatility, uh, you know, look for a good entry point. You know, buy some right away, and maybe maybe take your whole pie. I'm dealing with this literally right now because you know one of my brother's best friends who I've known since I was zero. Uh, is a successful guy up in Seattle and, you know, sent us a big chunk of money and he's asking me like how to deploy this thing. And I'm saying like, you know, okay, so take the pie, put some in now, right now, you know, just so that, you know, you have some call it 20, 25% of that stack. And then just dollar cost average every day, you know, with call it like 50% of it, you know, just kind of have that allotted to just buy in over the next month or two months or whatever. And, uh, and then if there's a dip, just plow it all back in. <laughs> just get it over with and then you know and then as fiat comes in over time then that's what swan is really for um which is you know converting the money that you earn over time kind of matching your contribution into into bitcoin with with the money that comes in that's really what it's for 
Um, I know I personally can't really sleep in fiat. So usually when I get, you know, a, a chunk of fiat comes in from one of my startups selling and I get to cash out a little bit or whatever, like it's very hard for me to dollar cost average that in over any long period of time. I usually just want it all in Bitcoin so I can sleep better. <laughs> <laughs> that melting ice cube. Man, it's uh, rough. It's rough. But, uh, but well, we, so we do deserve a little, you know, price chat. I got it so hard because like there's so much volatility heading into uh, the U S election next week. But my guess is we don't punch through 13, eight between now and Tuesday. And I think that there's a very good chance of a lot of things going sideways down in the market next week. So, you know, I, what I did advise my, my brother's buddy to do is, uh, you know, to buy some now just in case it moons like tomorrow and uh, otherwise just kind of like bide your time because I think there's, you know, a fairly good chance of being able to pick up some cheap next week, but we'll see. What are you guys' thoughts on Bitcoin and kind of rallying during the midst of a stock market sell-off? Great. Great sign. <laughs> great sign. Right? I, yeah. I don't, I'm not as bullish on this great decoupling that people are talking about, like that stocks and Bitcoin are just going to fully decouple. I think there's a lot of psychology here. I mean, you know, people point to the coronavirus crash and say, look, everything crashed at once. Everything's down. You know, the US dollar, you know, the, the stocks are down, the Bitcoin's down. And that means it's correlated. It's like, it's a very small market. And yeah, the most people are, that are playing it are like US investors with money. So they're, do, they're just kind of like market selling everything when the, when the panic comes because they know everybody else is panicking. So yeah, it happens. Um, I think it's a bullish sign that it is decoupled right now. But I'm not like betting the farm on that lasting forever. I think, again, Bitcoin, if anything we've learned on Twitter is like Bitcoin destroys all models, right? This is what <laughs> Michael Saylor's <laughs> comment. Thank you, Michael Saylor, for the greatest memes of all time. Um, but it, does, it really does. It doesn't care about your models. It doesn't care about your correlations. It'll just make crazy moves once in a while uh, because it's so supply constrained. So any real move in the in the market is going to be reflected. So it'll do things and it'll destroy your models. So trade carefully. Better what hap what happens if 10 billionaires come in exactly buy a billion dollars each <laughs> say declare it say they're not afraid of it or not you know not scared to declare it and then they start buying more all your models are destroyed all your models <laughs> so that, that and it's a very it's very game theoretically true right here's the interesting thing right michael saylor makes his big bet in bitcoin 500 million dollars now he has to actually defend it he's going on all the pods he's going he's going yeah. full on the memes and he has to defend it, right? And and all that he's doing is creating more and more bullish price action, which is driving more people to put money in. And then those people have to go out and defend it. Once you have money in, you've got to defend it. And uh, and then that forces you to get educated. It forces you to really understand it. And then you're showing it to all your friends because now you're fully you know orange pilled. And then yes, all your models are destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> and then you and then you end up sp you know spending every spare brain cycle that you have on Bitcoin, and then yeah. working full time in Bitcoin. And it's a disease. Uh, virus. Yeah, that, Mind virus. This is how it happens. Uh, all right. So you know now that we're talking about Michael Saylor, let's finish up with this one question. Just kind of go around the horn. Uh, what are we going to hear? This this uh, MicroStrategy earnings call is a in very interesting one. It's going to be a very special one in the history of that company for sure. Um, their treasury investment is up. 4x annual earnings um like you said michael saylor's out there making the rounds and selling the bitcoin he's going to have a lot of attention on this call uh what are we going to hear <laughs> how you like them apples <laughs> i told you so <laughs> i want to hear a shout out to the cyber hornets i think would be a a, a great call uh I, I just know that I know there's a lot of 
people who probably weren't on board with that decision in this company. And I've, I, I'd want that moment to sink in with them, see how they respond. And I hope he's, I hope he's humble about the thing. Um, and, and just, but I think he has to right now, you know, I think we are, it breaks all models. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, and he's in it for the long haul. So he's in it. If it goes down, he's, he's there. And I think a moment, it has to be an artful gloat, I would say, uh, to do it right, um, to hedge against where it's, where, you know, where it could go. Cause I think he is, I think he's got strong hands and, uh, I think him doing this in the right way, the right amount of gloat would, would be even more, uh, testament to that he's in it for the long haul. Cause he knows it's not going to always going to be simple. Yeah. And what's interesting is that his stock has not yet broken the pre-corona crash highs, as far as I can tell. I am not a stock chart expert, but if I draw that line, it looks like it's just about there. Um, and that's a little surprising to me because if people thought the company was worth that amount, you know, prior to the Corona crash, and now we're back and now Bitcoin's pumping, I think we could see some pretty bullish action in the stock just on the story alone. Totally. Absolutely. All right, gents, uh, any closing thoughts? Um, fold app, fold cards coming soon. Uh, Will, you want to just say a few sentences uh, about the fold card and where people can uh, sign up to get it? Yeah, I would say we are about to release a a sat stacking machine. Um, the entire <laughs> team created this uh, to actually implement their kind of wildest ideas of how we could make sure that all of everyone if they have a position now or don't or want to increase it, that, that this card is going to be meaningfully add to that stack and do it every single day. You know, I think I really see DCA and this as two really powerful concepts together. And so I think you should get on this wait list. There's a big line, but uh, we're actually rolling this out in November and in December. We're going to get to you very quickly. Um, so sign up for Fold's card at foldapp.com slash card. Uh, get on the wait list. We'll get to you soon. But um, this is going to be a fun ride. We're building this out in the open. We have about uh, a couple thousand people who are on the early access list. And this thing is going to be built in real time. We're just going to uh, uh, field new features from this group. Um, we're going to add it in. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really very bullish on coming out with a card right at a great time to to soak up all of these new entrants who are who are excited to start getting involved. Corey, talk to us about Swan for a little bit, man. We just get to like show Swan at the end. That's yeah, awesome. Man. I love it's, it. It's our show. <laughs> it's our show, right? Okay, cool. Uh, well, uh, like daily buys are just a normal thing now, and it's just awesome. Like I love stacking daily and not even thinking about it. It, it there's some so much, but there was still like that weird anticipation with the weekly, like wondering if your buy was going to happen at the right time or something. So if you're, if you're on Swan or thinking about getting on Swan, like definitely go and sign up for daily. I think it's swanbitcoin.com slash daily buys. Um, and everybody will be able to sign up what, within a week or two, I think we'll be through the, uh, the beta signups and everything's gone well, I think. So it should be open to everybody soon. Um, what else is really awesome? So just, yeah, I mean, coming down the pipeline, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, spot buys, smash buys, market buys, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, one-time purchases that is coming very soon. Uh, Jan, it's tomorrow, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, you know. It, it, yeah, you know. I'll, I'll just stay up all night. It'll be fine. Just stay up all night. It's fine. It's yeah, fine. No, no, fine. No QA needed for that one, right? No, we just ship it live. We do everything live, so it's just, all good. Yeah, put it on the server. <laughs> um, 
and then uh, yeah, so that I, I think we'll actually probably roll out uh, like a beta sign up for that uh, later this week as well. Um, so all the early folks can get in there and be the first people to smash buys. Um, so that should be pretty awesome. Um, we also have membership coming out, which I think is going to be really uh, great. So we've been really thinking hard about you know what what makes sense to for Swan to deliver, and you know as usual, it's going to be a lot of educational stuff. So uh, we'll have more on that pretty soon. Um, what else is kind of interesting? Uh, you're going to start to see Swan show up uh, in other apps soon. So sort of a powered by Swan experience. So we will be going live uh, in not the too distant future uh, with some wallets and other apps out there that will be, uh, you know, letting you buy through Swan right from their interface. So that should be pretty neat. Uh, what else? Brady, you want to talk about Swan Lounge? Treasury, wires. Oh, wires. Yeah. So that's good. Treasury, Swan, private. Treasury. If you want to wire uh, funds to, to, to your Swan account, just contact us at support at swanbitcoin.com and we will take care of you. Yes. Yeah. We, we've got to take wires up to a billion dollars. So you know, <laughs> if you want to wire us a billion dollars, like, you know, the whole company will pretty much just like figure out how to execute that with an OTC, OTC desk. So, <laughs> you know, send us a billion dollars. We're in. uh brecky you want to pop on real quick uh hey how's it going nice ladies and germs i'll do my quick shill sorry i don't have my makeup on talk about a couple of things the bitcoin arsenal that's why i'm wearing this silly hat with the open dimes on it what is the bitcoin arsenal the bitcoin arsenal is where we've got all the bitcoin memes and i mean all of them not yet but soon we're adding them we've got some amazing pages for some dedicated memers all right the hat's coming off it's uncomfortable and you can check out the arsenal at swanbitcoin.com slash arsenal. Follow us on Twitter at Bitcoin underscore arsenal. We retweet Bitcoin memes. So tag us at Bitcoin underscore arsenal. We retweet all the best memes. Follow us for updates. One more thing. Uh, you know our show. You love our show. But Fridays, we have Swan Lounge, which is an entirely different show. It's more laid back. It's kind of like how the end of this show was. Um, it's Bitcoiners hanging out and talking. This week, uh, excited to announce, we're going to have uh, Nico and Phil on from Simply Bitcoin. If I screwed that up, sorry, guys. Um, it's going to be great. So tune in this Friday. All right. Swan Lounge is a lot of fun. So subscribe to this channel. Uh, love to see the subs going up. Uh, the, the, the uptake on the channel is really exciting. Uh, really appreciate you guys being here and and uh, and, and supporting the channel uh, and our shows. It's, we have a lot of fun doing them and glad to, to know that they're useful. So uh, that's it for this week. Uh, take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. We got a special election edition. Uh, and we're, I'll announce it after the show, but I'll let you guys know now. It's with Alex Gladstein and Marty Bentz. We're going to get into the history of this country and talk about how uh, Bitcoin uh, will hopefully be a new revolution like we experienced in 1776, separation of uh, money and state, etc. So that's going to be a really exciting one. I think it's going to get deep. I think it's going to get inspiring uh, on a day where I think we'll all need a little bit of inspiration. So next Tuesday, Election Day, Marty Bent and Alex Gladstein. Uh, be sure to tune in for that one. All right. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thank you to Will and Jan for joining us today. On behalf of the SWAN team, thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the SWAN Signal podcast. It's fun to join us live on the live YouTube broadcasts at youtube.com slash swansignal. 
head over there, subscribe, and turn on notifications. We have a lot of fun in the live chat, and we often are able to work in some questions and comments from listeners. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash free book for a free copy of Jan's Inventing Bitcoin. It's the best introduction to the Bitcoin system. All we ask is that you pay it forward by sharing the book with friends and family. And we'll follow up with an email uh, about Swan, letting them know about the best way to get started stacking sats. It's a fantastic combination, free Bitcoin education, along with an invitation to start stacking at Swan in the safest way possible, a Bitcoin-only exchange, automatic recurring buys, automatic withdrawals, uh, and we will help your friends and family learn you know, why and how to automatically withdraw their Bitcoin. Follow us on Twitter at SwanBitcoin and subscribe to this podcast at swansignalpodcast.com. Thanks again.